I think this is the future of sports. It's more of these types of, of conversations where it's just content with people that are fanatically passionate about whatever sport, really anything, what you're trying to consume. Is it sports? Is it pop culture? Is it politics? Is it reality TV? You just want to hear from someone who is well-versed in it and is you know prepared and, and watches it and covers it like you know, you would if you were in that position, but just the fanatically passionate, you know, people are going to go into those silos and follow people that are just like them. That's, that's the future of sports and sports coverage, 100%. Today's guest to the Gravity Podcast is Dalton Thieneman. Dalton is the founder and CEO of Crack Rackets, a tennis media company. Dalton has negotiated and secured rights to over 600 college tennis matches, including multi-year deals with the ITA, Intercollegiate Tennis Association, for the national championship events, the ACC and SEC conferences on ESPN networks, the Big Ten, and more than 30 professional tennis clubs. Dalton's a great guy. It's a great story. And um, yeah, I'm just a huge tennis fan. Those of you that, that know me, I love Ohio State tennis, uh, tennis in general, playing, watching, supporting. And um, yeah, I think Dalton's really onto something. It's not just tennis, as you'll learn. It's really, again, you know, kind of new media. And uh, it's pretty awesome to see what they're building. And I think they're really onto something pretty spectacular. And and it's a good story, and I hope you enjoy uh, the conversation with Dalton as much as I did. Thank you. Welcome back to another episode of Gravity Podcast. Our guest today is Dalton Thieneman from Cracked. It says Cracked Media, which is probably the right description of what you're doing. Cracked Rackets is maybe you know how a lot of people might know the Cracked brand, but I know you're getting into all kinds of things, which I'm sure we'll talk about, but thanks for taking some time to come on the Gravity Podcast. Yeah, thank you for having me. Excited to be here. And and hopefully if we do a part two at some point, I will do it in person because I saw the podcast studio set up and that was super impressive. Yeah. Yeah. I'd love to have you come to Columbus if you come in town for a match or something or yeah, we'll, we'll do a part two, but yeah, let's start Dalton at the beginning. You know, I'd love to have you share your story as to kind of how you arrived at the work that you're doing today. That's kind of our format here. So let, let's just start at the beginning and tell me a little bit about, you know, where you're from and kind of what your early family dynamics were like. Yeah. So I was born in 1991 and it kind of all started there. No, but <laughs> I'm the oldest of four boys. I think that's important kind of part of the conversation and, and the story. So grew up in Southern Indiana, Sellersburg originally, and then Floyd's Knobs right across the river from Louisville, Kentucky. And being in a household with four boys, it was as rambunctious and chaotic as you can imagine. So, you know, our, our poor mom had to put up with that. But we played, you know, every sport in the books growing up. We, you know, had a pretty, you know, young and, and a lot of people in our neighborhood that were the same age. So, you know, every day during the summer and, and when the weather was good and we were out of school, Every, all the neighborhood kids would come over to our place and we'd be playing pickup basketball or baseball or, or touch football or, or tennis in, in the neighborhood. So, you know, huge, huge sports junkies in our family. For us, it was, you know, Kentucky, you know, football and basketball, you know, pro sports, the Pacers and the Colts. But just, you know, whenever any sport was on, we were either playing it or glued to the TV watching it. So, always the dream was, you know, to be a professional athlete first and foremost. And then when we found out pretty quickly that that wasn't in the cards for us, you know, I'm, I'm five ten. there were only a few sports that that was even possible, you know, being in sports in any capacity was kind of the lifelong dream. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, I know this is a long answer, but, you know, went to school, high school at St. Xavier in Louisville, went to college at St. Louis university for un undergrad and the whole time even in high school the the game plan was to go to law school be a real estate attorney and that was it my dad is a real estate developer in southern indiana my mom's a real estate broker so they're both small business owners mm. but once i kind of started down that pathway for law school i found out pretty quickly that you know i was doing it part time at at iu 
So I was actually working at the Indiana State House in the Senate as a legislative assistant and found out pretty quickly that I kind of had a, you know, had to have a lot going on in my life. I couldn't just be singularly focused on law school or in the political realm. But the whole real estate attorney gig was out the window pretty quickly whenever I started working at the State House. So, you know, started a career in politics, got into governmental affairs, and then did law school at night. But this is kind of the crux of the story and why you asked the question, I'm sure. 2017 rolls around. And, you know, I mentioned I come from a big sports family, but also a big tennis family. All four of us boys played tennis, the youngest of which Presley kind of is the stud of the family Two, you know, single state titles here in Indiana and then went on to play at Northwestern. And he's a junior there. But, you know, being a big sports family and tennis family kind of, you know, looked around the media landscape in tennis and was a little, you know, disappointed and frustrated that there wasn't the media coverage for all levels of tennis that I, I thought that deserved. And, you know, playing old man USTA league here in Indianapolis, we'd play our, you know, four or five match and we'd, you know, be grabbing a beer after the match and talking about, at that point, it was, you know, Riley Opelka, Taylor Fritz, Tiafo, you know, all those guys kind of coming onto the scene. Even Chris Eubanks, Will Blumberg, and Noah Rubin, and they're not only competing for junior slams, they're winning them. And not only can we not find like, you know, a bio or article or any coverage on these guys, when you go to the ITA website to get the scores, it's either not updated or they're wrong. And, you know, coming from a big sports family, looking at, you know, the LeBron Jameses of the world coming up, Zion, you know, Zion Williamson, whoever it is, who the next up and coming person is in their respective sport, you can get anything and everything about them down to, you know, the size of their tennis shoe. And then in tennis, you look and only the top five really in men's and women's on the pro side is being covered. So that was the genesis of Cracked Rackets. But I'll kind of stop there because, uh, you know, I'm sure you want me to take a breath at this point. <laughs> no, that's OK. It's great. And and I do want to back up and we'll talk all about Cracked. But, yeah, I'm sort of curious, you know, a little to hear a little bit more. You know, you you grew up, you described it as like, you know, sports being a professional athlete was the dream. And I was curious, you know, were your parents athletes, you know? What was it? Was it just the four boys and sort of the natural kind of, you know, societal norms around, you know, sports that had you also passionate about sports? And also, like, tell me a little bit about the sports that you played. I'm, I'm guessing it was more than just tennis. You know, where were your interests? Yeah, yeah. So a couple questions there, obviously. The first is my parents, my dad was more focused on you know, creating a business growing up. Uh, he, his dad was in the development and, and concrete business specifically. So his kind of singular focus, even in high school was, you know, building and starting his own business. So not a huge sports guy. My mom, however, was, you know, captain of the cheer team, you know, played volleyball and other sports and, and ultimately tennis once she got out of high school. So she was always really into sports and interested in you know, in playing sports and, and you know, following sports. And I think she had a lot to do with, you know, obviously all of us getting into tennis because she followed and watched and, and played tennis at a high level, not at the collegiate level, but, you know, she's playing, you know, 4-0 four, level tennis. So that kind of interest in sports definitely was pushed down to us from our mom. Uh, but then, you know, I think just naturally having four boys in a household, like it just you know, anything from, like I said earlier, playing sports in the backyard to even like selling like basketball and football cards. We grew up on a golf course in Southern Indiana. And instead of, you know, most people would be focused on like going to find golf balls and, and selling lemonade or water to the golfers that went by. We did that too, by the way, because we made a killing on it. But we also were selling baseball, basketball, and football cards to the neighbor kids at the same time. So like we were just, we were eat up with all kinds of sports. So it sounds like you were applying your passion to sports into the entrepreneurial world as, as at a young age too. Yeah, a little bit. I mean, looking back on it, you could, you know, it, we didn't think of it that way at, at sure. that point, but looking back right. on it, definitely were, I guess, but. 
we were just, yeah, getting into all kind of, you know, trouble and, and just, we were just so active. We were getting outside of the house and knew that if we could go out and sell, you know, basketball or football cards or lemonade, golf balls, whatever it was, we could go buy more sports cards and trading cards. Right. So, I mean, that was the ultimate goal there, but you know, for us, I played, you know, basketball, football, baseball, tennis growing up, but didn't really pick up tennis until I was cut from the high school basketball team freshman year. So I grew up going to Our Lady of Perpetual Help, a like Catholic grade school in Southern Indiana. And so it was kind of a, a smaller feel, right? So like, you know, 20 people go out for the basketball team and then and I, you know, started, I thought I was really good. And then I go over to St. X in Louisville where it's, you know, three, 400 guys in a class and a hundred people are going out for the basketball team mm -hmm. and, and got cut. And at that point, my mom was like, Hey, like, you're not just going to go to class. Like this, that's not going to be enough because you're not going to get into trouble or whatever. You got to fill up your time somehow. And so she's like, you, you have to pick a sport. And that's whenever I pick tennis and Actually, Daniel Westoff, who is my business partner in Cracked Rackets now and is the true technical brains behind the operation, played tennis together in high school, and he can attest to this. I showed up day one of tennis practice in my basketball Jordan shorts and Jordan shoes because I was like kind of protesting that I was still, you know, a basketball player despite going out for the team. But uh -huh. obviously, the rest is history. I go out for the tennis team and played almost, you know, 365 days a year for the next three and a half years there. So yeah, fell in love with it, obviously. That's great. Yeah. Talking about Matt Burnett before we started and he and I played on the tennis team together and we both like joke about the kid that came in his jeans to tryouts at one point, clearly didn't want to be there, but you took to it pretty fast and, you know, it's just sort of interesting you know, how it ends up being such a big part of your life. And it was something that, you know, you weren't even that interested in when you started. Was there something about the game that just kind of got you, you know, excited about, you know, continuing to pour yourself into it? Or was it just that you had to be doing something to stay out of trouble? Yeah. I mean, I, I played a little tennis, like recreationally seventh and eighth grade, but never like competitively. Like I never took a private lesson. No ever played like a USTA junior tournament until I got to high school. But I think, you know, whenever my mom was basically set the ultimatum that I had to be doing something, you know, I'm kind of the guy that whenever I get into something, I, you know, I dive first into the deep end and, and really go all in. So, and I also think there was kind of a chip on my shoulder being cut from the basketball team, if I was being really honest. And I haven't like even thought about this or, or talked about it really since then. But like, I had that chip on my shoulder that I was going to prove to everyone, including myself, that I wasn't going to get cut again. So kind of, you know, poured myself into it. And, you know, three years later was the captain of the team. And, you know, we won two state titles and actually was all state as a senior, too. So I, you know, really, really got into it at that point. Mm -hmm. And um, and yet, you know, it seems like as you kind of go into college and start to think about career and, you know, the kind of now maybe front of your mind it's like real estate law you know you've got that kind of family background you know tell me a little bit about kind of why you wanted to do those things or if you felt like it was you know kind of the just the family business you know what was it about you know kind of going down that path that had you you know excited about you know going into that part of your career yeah, I'd say, you know, I knew pretty quickly in high school that I wasn't going to be a math and science guy. Never really was my thing. And not only did I, you know, just didn't have any interest in it, but I just, you know, was more interested in reading and writing. And as my parents and all of my brothers can attest, I, I uh, typically push the, you know, envelope in terms of negotiating and, and asking why. So growing up, you know, my parents would be like, all right, you need to go do your homework or, you know, you have to eat all of your vegetables. And I, I would push back and, and say, why, you know, why that doesn't make any sense. Like, give me the mm -hmm. full breakdown. And I never was someone that could settle with 
that's like, you know, I'm the, you know, authoritative or, you know, I'm, I'm the mm-hmm. parent figure here. Like you're going to do what I say. I, I always push back. So I think, you know, the legal field and, you know, eventually politics for me was, was super intriguing, but for, you know, law school and real estate, you know, I saw it as a challenge, you know, the real estate side, like you mentioned, you know, it was family business. Sure. But I always had an interest in, you know, land acquisition and, and development and, and how that all worked. You know, I, I think Jackson and my family is very similar to my dad who enjoys kind of getting his hands dirty and like going on a job site and, and, you know, doing wall crew and those types of things. I was more on kind of the back end, like business side, thought that it was interesting, like how, you know, you know, dad, how do you go in and, and acquire a piece of land and, you know, the zoning side with the government and, and is there pushback there? And, so that was always intriguing to me. So, you know, all through really into high school and then in college, that was the game plan, as I mentioned. And I, you know, I fiercely, you know, I really went and relentlessly pursued that. But then things changed, as I alluded to earlier, as I started at the state house as a staffer there. Yeah. So talk a little bit about that. So, you know, the politics comes in, you know, the staffer job, was that something that, you know, was just a curiosity, an opportunity, you know, how, where was the interest in politics? And, and tell me a little bit about kind of that part of your career. Yeah. So I, and I know this is like kind of a sexy thing to do or a more like traditional pathway to do now, but at the t- time I took a gap year in between undergrad and going to law school. And I remember both my parents, but my mom saying, if you don't go to law school, school, you know, right out of the gate here, you're never going to go back. So, but I, I was pretty, you know, even though I knew that the real estate law side was, was what I ultimately wanted to do, I still, you know, wanted to go get my real estate license and really test out that side of the business first. So I got my real estate license in 2013. I was working for Tucker real estate here, actually in Carmel. And then all the while we had a family friend who worked for the Home Builders Association in Indiana. And he strongly suggested, hey, like if you're planning to go to law school, you should try doing an internship at the State House because if you're selected as a full-time staffer out of the, you know, 40 interns, they choose five legislative staffers. But if you're selected after the internship, you get half of law school paid for on top of your salary and benefits as a legislative staffer. So that was super intriguing. So I did the real estate gig with Tucker. I did the internship at the state or at the Senate for the state house uh, during the legislative session in, in 2014, and also worked at a steakhouse, Capitol Grill, downtown Indianapolis at night. So this was kind of the first year where I'm like, you know, obviously playing tennis all throughout high school and then, you know, AP classes and everything else. That's I kind of started the time management and having too much on my plate. Same thing in college. But that year I, I was kind of questioning how can someone just do one of these things and like not get bored with the rest of their life? Like, you know, obviously you have a social life and other personal things, but I just, you know, had to have a lot going on. So I did three jobs that year, you know, took the LSAT again and actually got into UNC and Vanderbilt and was going to go to UNC, was locked in to do that full time. But again, my parents both were like, hey, you need to take a step back here. At that point, I got an offer it was, I think, April of 2014. So about a month out from me making my college decision for, for law school. And, and they're like, you know, kind of do the cost benefit analysis. If you go to Vander UNC, it sounds awesome, but you're going to be 150K in debt as opposed to going to IU, getting some experience, you know, as an LA legislative assistant and getting all of law school paid for, you know, you need to think of it that way. So thankfully I listened to them and they stepped in and interjected at that point because I probably, you know, would be doing something completely different. But I, you know, ultimately decided on IU, took the job as legislative assistant at the Senate. So did that, you know, 45 hours a week and then did law school at night for four years. Yeah. And uh, so so you went all the way through and kind of, you know, saw that part through and, and then what you, you go into, you start to get into your career, you know, what year was that, that you graduated from law school? So I graduated in 2018, but I actually, we started Cracked Rackets in 2017, yeah. 
August of 2017. So while I was in law school, before I took the bar and all that jazz. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So that's what I thought the timing was. So tell me a little bit about crack then, you know, you, you saw the opportunity, you're just, you know, having beers after your four or five games and, you know, looking for this information. Uh, I suppose at that point, I'm trying to just think back, you know, there was a lot going on in the world of social media, you know, barstool, there was, you know, stuff's happening, but nothing in tennis. So you guys see this opportunity and just tell me about kind of how that starts to become a real thing and, you know, how that started to grow in the early years. Yeah. You know, your point about social media, I'll touch on that in a little bit, because I do think that's a huge part of our grassroots success. But so basically it was like, you know, April or May of 2017, started having conversations with some of the guys on my USCA team, but, you know, find out pretty quickly that I'm not, you know, the technical wizard that can either start a website or a blog or kind of, you know, have that type of engine and, and expertise. But thankfully, my, you know, best friend from high school, Daniel Westoff, was an aerospace engineer at the time. He's been someone in my life that, you know, if I have a, a big idea, he typically is the one that can actually make it a reality. So I reached out to him and, you know, obviously we played tennis together at St. X and then he actually, we went to St. Louis University together as well. So I followed him there because he's a year older. But so reached out to him, kind of start putting together the team. And he's kind of the, the technical brains behind the operation. I had, you know, another buddy from St. Louis, or Alex Ariza, who's kind of was the salesman. We had, you know, my little brother, Parker Thieneman, who was actually a double state champ at St. X. So big tennis guy, his buddy, Robert Thomas, and then Alex Leopold, who was on my USCA team here in Indianapolis. And the funniest part about all this is our whole, you know, core mission was a written blog. Like we're going to do articles and that's going to be the crux of the business. And we found out probably, you know, 60, 90 days in and, and really probably less than that. But 60 days in, we're like, oh my gosh, people these days. And, you know, this is 2017. So 2023 is even worse people have the attention spans of squirrels, right? So they, they have to have quick hitting, you know, audio and video content, which naturally led us to the podcast, the podcast network, which we have four of now with the Tennis Channel, two of which are, you know, top of the Tennis Channel podcast network and one that's consistently top five in the world in tennis podcasts. But then the video component, you know, started kind of coming along February of 2018. So that was our first ITA national indoors for D1. And this is a very pivotal moment in, in our, our business. So we get there and literally no one else is there. No, no media, no sponsors. We're kind of looking around and I'd come back after that. And I said, you know, my, I talked to my dad about it just trying to get some advice on how to move forward here because we were just covering it with the podcast and, and on the blog at that point. And he's like, you either done one of two things here, you either struck gold or you're going to be out of business in a couple months here. And, you know, me being me, I'm like, clearly we found a gold mine here. If there's no one else in the space. Right. But here five years later, you know, we've done every national indoor broadcast since we'll do 600 college tennis matches at the end of the season from a broadcast standpoint. We launched our cross court cast, which is basically NFL red zone for tennis. And then we have multi-year deals with the ACC, SEC and the Big Ten. And a lot of our matches Thursday through Sunday this year were on ESPN and ACC Network and SEC Network. So uh, we did something right to get to this point. Oh, no question about it. And it's interesting because, you know, we were talking about David Cass, who's a mutual friend of ours. You know, David, when when you were at the house, you know, was talking to me about Cracked. I don't know how much I knew about what you guys were doing, but uh, I didn't really understand the kind of how deep of an audience tennis had, you know, and, and I didn't, I actually don't remember if I believed just because I wasn't really consuming it. Like I like to play tennis. I like to watch tennis, but I wasn't really following tennis 
at this point in my life. I did when I was a kid, but I had not really been following tennis, not following college tennis. And so I didn't really understand how big of a market there was for this. And and maybe nobody did because that that might have been why nobody was doing it. But it, it sure seems like, you know, in the last few years, and I don't know how much of this is, you know, credit to what you're doing. I'm sure it's it's some you're playing some role in it, but in my own circle, I mean, you know, I'm playing at Ohio State, so I'm there five, six days a week. But when, when I go to a match, I'm like amazed at how many people are there. I mean, it's they're selling out, you know, a Thursday night Big Ten, you know, match. And so it just it does seem like there is a huge audience for tennis. Well, Coach Tucker, I mean, you have to give him a hell of a lot of credit because he's, you know, one of the best in the biz, if not the best in the biz at community engagement and, and you know, getting people to matches. So, I mean, yeah. he's they have a hell of a product there at Columbus. So, I mean, you're a little spoiled on that front, as I'm sure you know. <laughs> Ty, is, Ty is, he's special. Yeah, yeah, he is. I mean, what other coach in the country has a, you know, $20 million facility named after him as he's <laughs> currently coaching? He's the man. Yeah. Ties the man. And Coach Tucker's been great to work with and, and really supportive of what we're doing since day one. But, you know, I have to give a lot of kudos to Alex Gruskin on our team, which I'm shocked that it's taken me 30 minutes to even mention him. He truly is, you know, a, a unicorn in more ways than one. Could be, you know, a Ivy League attorney somewhere doing incredible things if he wanted to. And he scored on the LSAT, you know, high enough to do all that, by the way. But he reached out in, I think it was October of 2017, and DM'd us on Twitter. So this brings back the social media component again and said, hey, you know, love what you guys are doing. I go to the University of Michigan, and I have actually started a podcast with my buddies out of our dorm room. And before I even get on the call with him, I'm like, okay, well, this kid is is definitely in. If he is this fanatically passionate about, you know, anything, let alone what we're doing here for tennis, that he is spending his college years starting to podcast with his buddies instead of doing what most college kids do. Right. But then I get on the phone with him and actually don't tell my parents, but I cut out a class at law school that night to take the the call. And I thought it was going to be a five minute call and it was an hour. But I knew at at that moment, man, he is uh, he has a photographic memory, but even more than that is, you know, fanatically passionate about all things tennis and college tennis specifically, and truly believed and still does to this day that like, if there's enough coverage and, you know, there's coverage at all from a broadcast standpoint, other Alex Gruskins are going to come out of the woodworks. Like there are more Alex Mm. Gruskins out there. And so, you know, he really challenged us to get in, into the college tennis space. And, you know, we were planning to do that anyway, but not to the extent that, you know, he's just such a powder keg of energy in, in every mm-hmm. way. So, you know, we get into that mix and, but, and, and it all goes back to, you know, Daniel Westoff, you know, former aerospace engineer, Alex Gruskin, who is truly a wonder Kent. I mean, you're seeing our team is just, is unbelievable. I'm just super lucky to be working with those guys because we wouldn't be anywhere. We probably would have, you know, started and finished as a blog back in 2017 without them. So, yeah. Well, and it's interesting because I, I mentioned Barstool earlier and, you know, I think what, what Gruskin and, and, and you guys are doing aside from just like filling a void and covering tennis is, and what, why I think Barstool has been, you know, as popular as it is, is because they're just like normal people who are just fanatical sports fans, in this case, like tennis guys, right? Who love tennis, who can geek out on it, but they're just like you and I, right? I mean, you know, he he might be a photographic memory and, you know, a personality, but at the end of the day, it's like, we just want to talk tennis. We want to, we want to know, we want to, you know, break it down. It's just fun. Right. And, and it's, and it's, not the traditional media. You know, I think that's, it's not the traditional sports coverage. It's a much more contemporary way to relate to the sport you're passionate about. Yeah. No, I thank you for bringing that up. I, uh, well, I'm not going to say that we're new media. Like I'm sure you heard the same quote with Draymond Green, where he's like, you know, we're the new media. 
either current or retired professional athletes that are given a new perspective. But do you know think that Barstool really paved the way? And and you know a lot of people haven't seen the documentary with Portnoy and how much he grinded to truly build that business up in the early two thousands and like handing out you know newspapers in the Boston area and putting his life savings into this thing. But, you know, I think you're onto something there about, and honestly, the Manning cast is another example of that. Yeah. You know, Pat McAfee, I, I think is a, is yeah. a second iteration of that here in Indianapolis right. too, where, you know, people, and, and even to a, another extent, um, Steph Curry, I think people love Steph Curry, not because he can, you know, shoot and hit a three from any part of the, the court, but because he looks like, you know, you and I, like he's like six, two, he's scrawny. He's not, you know, LeBron or Giannis where he's seven foot and just like unrelatable at all. I think, you know, all of these things are the same. You know, if, if things are relatable, it's almost like, you know, you know, Portnoy and the Barstool guys, or, you know, Steph Curry or McAfee or the Manny cast, because they're not talking to you or, or, you know, playing their sport from a high throne or whatever. It's unbuttoned. It's unfiltered. It's kind of like you would talk to your buddies watching sports. And, yeah, you know, I actually I talked to had the opportunity because I had a buddy of mine who's doing big things at Arizona State. So they brought me in as kind of a guest lecturer a few weeks ago. And, you know, everyone's asking in that class, what's the future of linear TV and what's the future of sports? And I think this is the future of sports. It's streaming. It's, you know, more of these types of, of conversations where it's just, you know, content with people that are fanatically passionate. I know I've said that a couple of times, but they're fanatically passionate about whatever sport, really anything, what you're trying to consume. Is it sports? Is it pop culture? Is it politics? Is it reality TV? You just want to hear from someone who is well-versed in it and is, you know, prepared and, and watches it and covers it like, you know, you would if you were in that position. But just the fanatically passionate, you know, people are going to go into those silos and follow people that are just like them. That's mm -hmm. that's the future of sports and sports coverage. One hundred percent. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about that. I, I'm actually just thinking like things like full swing or break point, you know, like the the sort of normality of getting to know the athlete. You know, that's also, you know, I mean, the best part of watching that stuff is like watching them like in their homes in between. Right. You know, but uh, talk a little bit about kind of cracked media, you know, you guys have expanded and there's a lot going on just kind of, you know, in the media space in the sports media space and the tennis space. And so I'm kind of curious just to learn a little bit more behind the scenes as like where you guys are with the business and, and kind of how you see that evolving from here. Yeah, yeah. I'll answer the the Netflix doc piece first. So yeah, full swing and breakpoint, I think is just, well, long overdue, truly, especially for uh, tennis and then golf too. But I think, you know, the biggest thing that individual sports like that is missing from a media coverage standpoint and just, um, you know, general popularity is character development. Um, I don't think the media has done a good job of, of, you know, building up characters like the NBA or NFL does and has. And, and I think they've been very intentional in doing so. Like it's, you know, these days I grew up following the Pacers. So it was Rick Schmitz and Reggie Miller and, and the team, you know, I'd say if I was, you know, 12, 13, 14, you're following more the individual players. So you don't care if Kevin Durant gets traded from the Nets to the Suns. You're a fan of Kevin Durant. And I think, you know, tennis and golf need to learn from that, from, you know, the NFL and NBA. And I think, you know, Netflix is doing a fantastic job and the, the you know, production team, the guys that did F1 and now Breakpoint and Full Swing. You're exactly right. You know, we just want character development. We want to know, you know, the behind the scenes of Taylor Fritz and Dustin Johnson and these guys. We love that they're top 10 in their sport and, and are going to compete in majors and grand slams, but more so we want to know like what their family's like, like what, how they interact with, you know, their kids or their loved ones or what their interests are off the court. And, you know, I, I think that's what's made them so popular. And just for us being, you know, tennis guys, 
I'm super excited for Breakpoint, like the second, you know, five episodes to drop here in a couple of months, because, you know, I think there was a lot of bad timing for Breakpoint with, you know, all the curious getting injured and then, you know, just a lot of things didn't break our way. But I think, yeah. um, I think it's really going to blow up after these next five episodes, because personally, I think they're even better than the first batch. Yeah. Cool. So, but so that's the first question. And apologize for the long winded answer. That's but okay. the second is, uh, what's the future of cracked media? And, and, you know, what else are we doing? So we're actually in the process in launching a college football brand. So we have a you know, it's always, and, and you know this probably better than most, is when you're, you're building a business, the toughest part whenever you're trying to scale is finding not only quality people, but quality people that are going to work hard and, and are going to be fanatically passionate about what they're doing to the point that it doesn't really feel like a job to them. So we've been you know, very intentional in that way. I think we've got the infrastructure from a broadcasting standpoint you know, our podcast and kind of media arm, all of that, the social media and marketing team, we kind of have a good roadmap there to get into other sports. But, you know, we didn't want to get into another sport just to do it and just to, you know, whatever. So Joe Pucciarelli is, he coached at FAU with Lane Kiffin, has a, a really good Rolodex of of college football coaches and and players, execs, and and brands, honestly. So, you know, we're getting into college football. Pickleball is coming pretty soon. I don't know how you feel about that necessarily. But we have plans to get into, you know, soccer, hockey, lacrosse, NFL, NBA, uh, you name it. Because I think, you know, we've got something that's special here and we've got a good roadmap. And, you know, the dream of of working in sports is coming or you know quickly coming a reality here so interesting that's fascinating i didn't i didn't know you guys were getting into all those sports i remember hearing maybe that you were thinking about golf or you know expanding into other sports but you're really getting into all of them i mean that's a pretty yeah. big leap i mean it makes sense because in a lot of ways you're still trying to fill the same void you know the voice and the approach that you're taking especially, you know, bringing in the college aspect. I don't think that that exists. I mean, sure, college football, college basketball, they probably, you know, already not probably have a tremendous amount of coverage, but it's different. And I don't know, there's something different about the way you guys are doing it that would make sense that it would translate to other sports. Yeah, well, and golf is is still on our radar. We actually had two podcasts previously in 2020 that were were successful and the, the guy that was running that division for us went on to bigger and brighter things which i think you know going back to portnoy and barstool i think that's kind of a recipe for success you know for us we're not trying to hold anybody back if if you know we can have you know talent or, or someone who's in you know a journalistic capacity with us that comes in and blows up and, you know, is going to pursue their dreams on to bigger and better things. I think we've done something right here. So we're, we're planning to get back into golf. But one thing I did want to touch on, too, that I kind of like skated over earlier is, you know, during COVID, just like a lot of other small businesses and startups, we almost went under as well. Right. So college tennis stopped the ATP and WTA tours stop play there for at least four to six months. And it kind of, that was a, a pretty pivotal point for us. And, you know, Dana Westoff from our team kind of took that into really building up our broadcasting infrastructure. So, you know, the cross court cast format that I referenced earlier, which is similar to NFL Red Zone, which no other media outlet, and I can say this, you know, definitively, no other media outlet in tennis has done yet is perfect for college tennis, but I also think it's it's good for any type of tennis. So if we're trying to keep up with, you know, a new demographic and, and the younger audiences that are going to get into tennis from a break point, if you will, that are more casual, that, you know, may not have a familial background and, and growing up playing tennis or have a family member that has, we have to, you know, make our sport more exciting and energetic 
And this cross-court cast format does exactly that. So we go, we're not on one match the entire time. We go to tiebreakers. We go to, to match points. We're on court one, you know, and then we jump over to court six because it's a deciding point in college tennis, three all. Um, so having that same format and kind of that remote broadcasting software, honestly, is something that we plan to scale to other sports because I think that's just, you know, another question that was asked in Arizona State was, do you watch a full game or match whenever you're watching sports? And 90% of the class raised their hand and said, I get most of my sports coverage on social media now or through House of Highlights on Instagram. So I think, you know, just now being in, in the business of, of media and, and content, you have to see where those trends are going. Because I don't think it's like, you know, when, when, you know, my brothers and I were growing up and we sat down and watched the entirety of the Pacers game, you know, you may have it on in the background, but you probably have a couple different, you know, you have a phone or an iPad or a computer on too. Yeah. So we're taking all that into consideration, you know? Yeah. Yeah. No, it's smart. You you have to. And things like red zone, you know, the cross cast that those, I mean, there's no doubt I know on Sundays in my house and I have three boys, um, you know, we're Browns fans. So the Browns are on, we'll watch, you know, the entire game, but even then my kids are wanting to flip over to red zone at commercials to check on, you know, their fantasy teams and, you know, to watch all the scoring. So, you know, that's just where it's going. And, you know, I can tell you as a, as a college tennis fan, you know, when I'm trying to watch an Ohio state and away match, you know, it's currently really clunky to have to go from court to court. I usually don't end up doing it. In fact, the streams are so bad most of the time that I'll just kind of like scoreboard watch and refresh on my phone because, you know, by the time you get the stream to come up on court one, you really want to be watching court four. It's just, it's not where, you know, it could be. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, I think, so college tennis, I've, Obviously, we started in, in tennis because it's what we love. Like all of us are are just, you know, big tennis guys and tennis fans. And, you know, so we had the know-how. We knew the game. We we kind of knew the landscape. I thought I think I personally thought I knew it better than we actually did because we there are a, a lot of things that we learned along the way. But, you know, so we also had kind of a network to tap into with tennis. As we get in other sports, you know, we have to be very cognizant of of having people that have that same, you know, passion for whatever it is, but also the network to tap into as well. But, you know, you mentioned, Brett, that college basketball, for instance, is saturated. I would agree. Same thing with college football. But the way that it's covered is is a completely different thing. So I went to St. Louis University. Uh, we're still in the Atlantic 10. You know, as a as a Bills fan, and, and Rick Majerus was there my junior and senior year, so we had a couple like top twenty five seasons. So I'm still oh, yeah. you know huge St. Louis Billikens fan. But you know I would prefer to watch. Obviously, I watch every every Bills game, but I would also like kind of a second screen that showed around the conference, like what's happening with Davidson or what's happened, you know, whoever it is, and a kind of a pop around red zone, whatever yeah. it is, kind of format and blows my mind that all the resources out there and I won't name any names because we have you know a lot of a lot of partners in the space now but this isn't innovative it was when red zone came around 5 7 years ago but it sh this should be commonplace now so yeah well and you know you guys will do that and it's like you know why why not you you're perfectly positioned for it, it makes a ton of sense i mean you see things like manning cast you know they just come in and change the game like it might have been obvious that we should have been doing that earlier but nobody was doing it and so yeah i think i think you're really onto something i think it's really you know exciting as a fan and it's just, you know, a good story. I like the fact that, you know, you guys kind of stumbled into this just, you know, through your various backgrounds and expertise and passion for, for tennis and, and for sports. Tell me a little bit. Um, I know Gruskin's like a huge Michigan guy. So, so big match this weekend, Ohio State, Michigan. I don't know where your college tennis allegiance is, but, but, but beyond just, you know, that rivalry, 
What what do you see in the sport, both college and and professional tennis? You you mentioned pickle. Obviously, there's a you know a lot of tension between the two sports. You saw the slam over the weekend. You know with with you know the old tennis guys trying to embrace it. I'm involved with David in in the major league pickleball. So you know I see it happening. You know I'm a little reluctant get into it because I love tennis so much, but tell me just a little bit about kind of how you see the landscape of tennis today and, you know, how things are changing there. Yeah. So a lot to unpack there. The first thing I will say, so you said early on, why not us? Like, why not you going in and covering, you know, a sport in a new way? I have to address that first because we had, and I'd say, you know, a collective, we had a complex the first couple of years of cracked rackets that why would it be us? We have no formal background in media or journalism. We have no training, no experience, no anything on paper. So I would just say to your audience and, and to you as well, that like whenever you, you know, are pursuing something and, and you either are super interested in it or there's, you see a void in the market, you know, the biggest thing here is, and the biggest secret in any business, I think, and it's probably the biggest thing that I've learned through this, you know, six-year journey, is uh, you can outwork people. Yeah, yeah, you can. You can. There's trial and error, and you can figure it out. There's YouTube and there's Google. If you have, you know, smart people that are willing to work impossibly hard and put in long hours and and weekends, whenever you know, find find the time. You can outwork people. So that's the first thing I want to say. The second is that Ohio State Michigan match is going to be a barn burner. I know Ohio <laughs> State kicked their ass in the in the first one, but yeah, that's that's Ann Arbor. But so that'll be actually part of our cross court cast for the Big Ten on Sunday. So check it Good. out on the Correct Rackets YouTube channel uh, at sure. noon. But um, yeah, so and then to to go to the pickleball thing and and the future of tennis and and just the back and forth there, you know. I, I I'll be the first to recognize how polarizing pickleball has become, especially in the tennis community. And I am the first guy that was a naysayer. I'm like, Oh, this is a trend that's coming off of COVID and, you know, people will love it for, you know, six months and then they'll never play it again to the point that we turned down broadcast contracts last spring, because I thought it was, you know, it wasn't going anywhere. Why would we do a one-off broadcast for whoever, uh, and let me tell you, it, it is here to stay. The 9 million viewership number on Sunday that, you know, beat out the NBA and the Final Four and a lot of other like major, major events that were going on on a Sunday is no joke. I personally don't like to watch pickleball. I would prefer to see, you know, the highlights, one or two of the biggest points. I hate to even admit this, but I do like to play it. It'll never, you know, be a substitute for tennis for me because I, you know, I love tennis, but I do think it's a, it's, it's great and it's going to be around. And, but I think this is the thing that people are not seeing and maybe I'm wrong in this hypothesis, but I think that uh, the rise of pickleball and paddle, padel, any paddle sports will actually translate to racket sports. I think, you know, this is a perfect introduction to tennis. And, you know, they may not be 5-0, 5-0 players, but I think the lower levels of tennis are, it's going to be great for the sport. You're going to see the best pickleball players or padel or, or paddle players get bored, frankly, and be really good and be like, oh, well, I, I need a new challenge. And they're going to get into tennis. Yeah. So I think it's going to be a pathway. And I, I truly believe the tennis powers that be, and, and some of them already have embraced it is embrace it and use it as a marketing tool or a pathway to tennis, because I think it'll be that ultimately, but pickleball does need the infrastructure and the, you know, the facilities. And I know David and and you guys have done a great job of that in Columbus already, but we need, you know, clinics and pros and just the, the tennis community wants them out of their courts because it's already tough enough to find a public court yeah. post COVID. So that's the biggest yeah, issue. Yeah. And the noise, get a noise cancellation ball or whatever, right? But <laughs> yeah, I know it'll be interesting to see how that unfolds over time. 
but I agree with you. It is here to stay. And, you know, David's doing awesome stuff at Pickle and Chill. And you're going to see a lot more of that, you know, popping up all over, I'm sure. Hey, I know you've got a hard stop. I appreciate you taking some time. And before we just wrap up, I don't know if there's anything else you want to share. We'll make sure to put all the notes and, and links in the show notes. But, you know, if there's anything, Dalton, that you want to make sure the audience hears, you know, now's a chance to finish up with some final thoughts. Yeah, I mean, just check us out if you're a big tennis fan or, you know, you casually got into it from Breakpoint or you follow Nick Kyrgios or whatever your reason is. Check us out at crackedrackets.com. But more importantly, Cracked Rackets on any social media platform, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or even on TikTok. I hate to say that, but we are. And then the YouTube channel at Cracked Rackets. And then if you're a college tennis fan or you're not a college tennis fan, go watch a college tennis match in your community. Or if you're a big tennis fan, bring a kid who is you know newly introduced to tennis to a college tennis match because it's the best kept secret in sports and I will die on that hill every day of the week. But other than that, Brad, I, yeah, thanks for having me. And like I said, let's do part two in Columbus in the studio. Yeah. I don't know if you guys are coming to town for anything, you know, once we get into tournament time, but love to partner up with you at some point on something at gravity. We're actually going to do a couple of pickleball courts in this new park we're opening. And anyway, yeah, I'd love to continue the dialogue and Thanks again for taking the time. Really enjoyed it and, and you know, big fans. So keep up the good work. Yeah, likewise. We'll have to chat more about that uh, pickleball project because I've, I've got a few the wheels are already turning on a couple of things that we're working on. But okay, cool. Yeah, thanks great. for having me. I'm, I'm sure we'll talk soon. Okay, great. Thanks, Dalton. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Gravity Podcast. Please subscribe to the show at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about the entire Gravity Project, please go to gravityproject.com. Please check out the podcast on Instagram at The Gravity Podcast. Music heard of the show is provided courtesy of Kyle Lamoro and Oliver Oak.